Welcome to the Food and Feelings What's Eating You podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Scott, founder of Tracy's Gourmet Specialty Foods Company and the loser of 115 pounds. I created this podcast after years of being asked how I lost the weight and what caused me to weigh over 250 pounds. This podcast will uproot the truth about how food and emotions are connected, how food and weight impacts our sense of well-being and identity, and how we use food during life changes and its impact on our thoughts and behaviors. My goal is to serve and support you as we change our relationships with food and discuss alternatives to addressing our emotions in a non-food way. Today, we have the amazing pleasure of interviewing another health and wellness expert. And with this comes an opportunity to take better care of ourselves during this pandemic. As uh, many of you know, over the past few weeks, we have been interviewing health and wellness experts who can help us take charge and take responsibility for our own health versus sitting around and, as I like to say, waiting for a vaccine to take care of us. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Liz Kahn. Uh, Liz is an MACBC, and she's done a wonderful job of creating a platform that helps you to, as she says, be well. Liz says that give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Show a man how to fish and you have fed him for a lifetime. This popular saying best describes the approach that Liz has when working with individuals and groups. After nearly two decades of diligent work in the field of behavioral science, Liz Kahn has incorporated Burris's method as the primary means of supporting individuals in overcoming challenges of the past in order to face the future with confidence, compassion, and clear vision for what works for them. Liz has been described as a creative problem solver, logical and thoughtful. She has been traditionally trained in energy work or Reiki, art therapy, glass work, clinical psychology, behavioral science, meditation techniques for clarity and stress reduction, as well as intentional interviewing, which all come together to create a rich and dynamic session that provides you with not only the tools you need to be successful, but also the most effective ways of integrating these tools into your daily life seamlessly. Liz, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be interviewed and to share your expertise with our listeners. How are you doing today? I am really doing well today, and I'm very honored to be here with you. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. It's been a trying last, I guess, what is this, six weeks, eight weeks? I kind of got lost after week four. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what week is it. Although I've seen people that are tracking day-to-day on social media, which I don't know if it's helpful for them or not, you know, taking away the days. Yeah, I'm, I stopped tracking after week two, and, again, I lost, I lost track of days after week four. So week five, I constantly found myself either checking my Fitbit or checking my phone to make sure I knew what day it was. It seems yeah. after Monday, I get confused. I, I, I kind of lose track whether or not it's Tuesday, Wednesday, right. or Thursday. I know when Friday's oh. here, but uh, right. in the middle of the week, I get a little lost. So, Yeah. Um, actually, even just the other day, yesterday, I was like, oh, well, it's Tuesday. And my husband said, no, honey, it's Thursday. <laughs> and I was like, I better prepare for this interview then. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it yeah. 
the monotony, there's something really yeah. special about going and changing your environment, and it's restricted now, so it's tough. It is. I've tried to maintain my normal routine of, you know, get up, either work out or, you know, do your shower thing and just get prepared. Although I'm working from home like thousands, millions of people, you know, I'm still trying to keep somewhat of a routine. Um, I, I told a friend of mine, I put on my clothes just to put on clothes mm-hmm. because right now everything is what, sweatpants, um, yoga pants, T-shirts. I, I, you know, I've been going to Target for essentials, let me just say that, and I swear everybody has on the same outfit, either shorts, right. T-shirts, sweatpants, yoga pants. No one is dressing. Like, you can tell. Everybody's at home working and nobody is putting on clothes. Well, I mean, I know quite a few people who put on nice tops. You know, <laughs> they're going to be oh, yeah, for the, so they'll change their shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've done that a couple of times. Um, for and the most part, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm in yoga pants now. <laughs> they're so comfy. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in, I'll be honest with you, I'm in my pajama pants. But I do have on a nice sweatshirt, so, because I have to go outside. I've got to water my plants. And my neighbors hey, don't need to see all that. That's <laughs> exactly what others are doing. It's perfect. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I know week one, week two, we all, you know, we all try to look nice and, you know, do the makeup just to stay in in the groove of that. But I notice, mm-hmm. you know, people are like, yeah, I'm not doing makeup. Nope, nope. Yeah. As long as my hair is combed, I'm good. <laughs> well, and the hair is the other part, right? Everybody wants their hair cut and they can't oh. go get it. So now people are yeah. reporting, this is my COVID hair. You know, I don't know if I'm going back. <laughs> heard that one. So it's, COVID it's, hair. I like that. That's new. I haven't heard that one. Oh, yeah? yeah. We got Jewish cousins, right? <laughs> like every, We're all curly hair. <laughs> but nobody knew before. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So I'm, in, I'm a talker, as you know. Um, I've kind of let you know that before this interview. So I'm going to make sure I get these questions in because what you have to share is really powerful. Um, I have been on your website and I've looked at everything you have out there and it's really, really great. Um, I know that one of the big challenges, and I'll just speak for myself, has been keeping my thinking in the right direction. You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've modified my behavior. You know, I, I might watch the news every other day, maybe once or twice a week, and I limit it to no more than 20 minutes. I don't care if it's an hour long, 30 minutes long, because it seems that 20 minutes is my max. So what I've noticed about what you help people do is you help us with our thinking. You help us to be clear-minded and, and, and just change our focus and, and we work with our thoughts. You help us to work with our thoughts. So my first question is, how can we think our way into using the disruption that's going on right now or any disruption to our lives? Um, I want to know specifically to COVID to push us into success versus failure. You know, we talk about the way we think, and, and that's really, in some ways, the way we think has a couple of different voices. So sometimes we're just narrating what's going on. Um, And sometimes our emotions trigger different thoughts. So, you know, when we talk about using our thoughts to help us find success for the future rather than failure, a lot of it has to do with controlling, not controlling, but 
being in touch with our emotional process. So often when we start spiraling out, it's because of fear. And then our thoughts feed our fear even more. So what I try to teach my clients is how to recognize when you're in a thought pattern that is detrimental and how to interrupt it. Um, my background, way before I did this, I worked with children with autism. The importance of interrupting something that doesn't work and then redirecting, whether it's a child or your own thinking, this has huge, huge implications. So if you think about it like this, if you've ever done a presentation and it didn't go well, and after you walk out of that presentation, you start thinking, you're going to think one of two things, right? You're either going to think, how did I screw that up so bad? I'm the worst, you know? And when you ask questions like, how did I screw that up so bad, you're going to get answers like, well, you stayed out too late, you shouldn't have been drinking, you didn't put in, you know, you're going to feel worse about it. But if you go out of there thinking, okay, that didn't work, what can I do better next time? That leads you to a very different feeling state, which leads you to different thought processes. So bringing it back to this, there are a lot of people who are going, oh my God, this is terrifying. I don't feel safe. I don't feel comfortable. I'm afraid to go outside. Whereas if you can interrupt that fear and start with, what feels safe for me to do today? What can I do today that's going to make me feel like today was a good day you know, to be here? Whether you're talking about just this moment or just for the future, you can literally interrupt your fear and say, all right, so what would be better? And that will help your subconscious start to focus on what will be better. So really what I do is work in the subconscious, and it relates mm -hmm. to our thoughts and our feelings. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I um, recently took an exam, a certification exam, and I did not pass. Mm -hmm. And I remember leaving that classroom feeling you know, the same way you just described. I felt like a failure. I felt very frustrated, just very surprised that I didn't pass, but um, I won't go into that. Sure. But I remember driving away thinking, okay, now what are you going to do with this thinking? Because what mm. you're thinking right now, it's not, it's not going to get you where you want to be. And I remember a lot of shame because it was mm -hmm. something I definitely should have passed, and I felt shame. And I know just from a from a Christian or from a, a, a person of faith perspective, shame is not, that's not something, you know, God ever wants us to feel. Um, mm -hmm. And so I immediately said, what's the opposite of feeling shame? It's sharing with people saying, hey, I just didn't pass such and such instead of trying to go hide. So I changed that you know, the way I was thinking about myself and about not passing that exam. I think that's what you're saying we have to start doing because I just started yeah. doing that recently. Absolutely. And there are some people who seem to have it naturally, and a lot of people who are faith-based seem to have that interruption that's like, God doesn't want this for me. If people aren't faith-based, they really need to take this on themselves. I don't want this for me. So what would be better? And that's perfect. Like, but one of the biggest issues that I see with adults in particular is that they were never taught to. And so they, it's not even that they allow, because allowance almost makes it seem like you have some control over it. But our thoughts are the oldest habit that any one of us has ever, you know, started doing. Like, I started biting my nails when I was very, very little. You would have thought that was mm -hmm. my oldest habit. But no, how I talk to myself is my oldest habit. So what my objective wow. is with all of my clients 
That's good. That's really good. New habits in thinking, in how you're talking to yourself, and learn how to recognize how your body is communicating with you so that you don't have to fall victim to it. Like I had a client who was in his very early 30s, and he thought he was having a heart attack because he was under so much stress. So he didn't recognize the stress element of it or the thought process that was leading to it, but he knew when he thought his heart was going to explode. We want to catch it before you feel like your heart's going to explode. Yeah, and that, that's, that was what made me do that because I could see my thoughts and my thinking spiraling down, mm-hmm. you know, as I was driving away. And I said, ooh, wait, wait, let's stop this right now. Uh, so, yeah, I saw me spiraling down in my thinking, and I just said, nope, this is not, we don't go down, we go up. So um, that's good. That's really good. It's like magic um, that you're able to do that. So few people can. So I, can I give you a little applause for that right now? Because it's so hard. Thank you so hard. much. I appreciate the virtual applause. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish yeah. I could say it's what I've been doing all my life, but it's not. I, I think I just started doing that maybe over the past four years. It's, it's not. And it doesn't come easy, but no. I now just know okay, I don't like how I'm feeling, mm-hmm. my feelings are connected to my thoughts, how am I thinking, because I always think, you know, in terms of food, it just it was the whole changing of my thinking, not just yeah. changing of my eating, that helped me to lose that weight. And it's daily. I mean, yeah. ooh, I, I talked to someone in another interview, and I said, let me tell you, week three came around, and I, I had to constantly remind myself, you don't eat this. You right. need to stop. You know, my right. refrigerator saw me way too much. <laughs> Week three, I'm telling you. But um, anyway, so thank you. That was really helpful. And also it did help me to see that, yes, I'm doing the right thing. Yes, um, you're doing So my second question is, what are cognitive distortions? I've never heard of that. Really? So a cognitive distortion is one of those fancy psychology words, but it really just means misinterpreting what's going on. So if we think about, let's go back to that presentation wow. that you took. Um, you know, all of a sudden you're interpreting things in the environment that are only going to hurt you. <laughs> um, sometimes wow. it's different. Like if you think of somebody who's like, like all ego, right? They're misinterpreting things. They're thinking that everybody wants to hear what they have to say. Um, But often cognitive distortions bring us down rather than up. So a cognitive distortion might be like if your best friend picks a fight with you out of nowhere and you're like, what's wrong with me? I did something wrong. But really your best friend has had something go on in her life and she's kind of taking it out on you, right? A cognitive distortion is absolutely an assumption about something that's going on and then holding on to it like a belief rather than finding out what is really at the crux of it. I mean, how often is an argument really just a misunderstanding? So that is really good. How yeah. often is an argument just a mis- misunderstanding and then you're like, because oh, of you a cognitive distortion? But oh. cognitive distortions can get really big. I mean, a lot of anxiety, if you think about – Anxiety being fear of the future and depression being sadness about the past, right? So those are also cognitive distortions in a lot of ways because we're feeding ourselves 
like let's say you're dealing with depression, we're feeding ourselves more and more distorted beliefs about who we are or about who others are. And the same thing with anxiety. There's distortions about what might be, but they aren't. They aren't yet anyway. And so if you're afraid that that's what it might be, we go back to our thinking process, our emotional process, and say, what would be better and how can I get there with ease? Like, what is my best path towards getting there? And suddenly we are not feeling anxious anymore. We're like, oh, that's actually not so bad. I feel like we make life really hard by assuming that we're right about a lot of things. My husband and I talk about this a lot. Our, our catchphrase in the house is, we're always wrong. You know, we're just always <laughs> That's good. Well, and for somebody who's studied behavior for 20 years, like, I definitely, I believe that I'm right about a lot of things, and I can trace behaviors usually back to an emotional event. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are still times, because I've got an 11-year-old son at home, where I'm just like, wow, I was wrong. <laughs> but it's okay mm. to be wrong, too. And that, I think, is a very hard thing for human adults to handle. Like, we were wrong when we were kids and we, and we learned. We can still be wrong as adults and still learn, and it's good as long as we haven't blown anything up in the process. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, as I have gotten older, I have come to feel so much peace when I say I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I feel so much peace. I, it seems like a weight is lifted off my back. When oh, yeah. someone asks me something and I say, I don't know, and it's like, yeah, and I don't have to figure it out, you know, by trade, right. you know, in my role, you know, in corporate as a business analyst and before that I was an instructional designer, you have to know. You have to have yeah. the right information. You have to be able to collect the data and then speak to the data and explain it, and you have to be able to tell people what to do and train them online or face-to-face because they have to learn this from you. So you got to know. Now, I, I love saying I don't know mm-hmm. and it, because it stops everything. It stops the back and forth. It stops the my mind spinning. It stops the, oh, you should know. No, I shouldn't know because I don't know. And right. I don't know where that came from, but it's very freeing. And I love what you said when you said we're usually wrong. Um, yeah, I, I, and, and so are other people. Other people are yeah. usually wrong, too, but I know that I'm usually wrong, and that's okay. And I mean, not to take that to the extreme, but it, it helps me to accept my humanness, I think, you know. Well, and yeah. there's something to so that's good. Over. You know, there are things that we do know, and there are also things that we don't. And, and then there are the times we think we know and we're wrong, and that, that's a perfect opportunity to demonstrate the gracefulness with which we can say, wow, I guess I was wrong. I love that I learned something new today. It's something, I don't know if you have children. I've only got the one, but I will tell you that this kid sucks up everything that he sees in me. And where that makes a lot of parents nervous for me, I'm totally okay because I know that I've modeled apologies and being wrong Mm -hmm. and how to recover time and time again so he knows how to do it, right? I don't have children yet, but I have um, eight nieces and a nephew. And so, yeah, I mean, I spent a lot of time with my um, uh, niece and nephew, oh, my goodness, when I was a teacher, Mm -hmm. they would spend summers with me because I was out. And when I tell you, they, especially when I was driving, Mm-hmm. I had to be very mindful 
because they right. are eyeballs on when you're driving. And so, yeah, they they they're, they were sponges at that time. I mean, they're off high school now and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I definitely, you know, you're exactly right. And I think about some of my behaviors and patterns of behaviors that I had to break that mm-hmm. I modeled after my parents. But I have some yeah. excellent behaviors that I modeled from my parents that, you know, have helped me to, you know, get my education and be successful and start a business. You know, I saw some amazing qualities in my dad and my mom that, you know, I hold on to dearly. And other things, it was like, oh, no, you got to let that go. You know, that's what your mom used to do or say. Or, mm, no, that's what your dad used to do. And that didn't work for them. So, yeah, you're right. right. Yeah, so, there's, there's a lot of really cool stuff in terms so of it's, how we learn things. Um, we could do a whole other podcast on that another time because, it's it's pretty impactful <laughs> once you start to see the layers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you yeah you just made me start thinking about my mom and my dad's patterns and the ones I had to break and yeah 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 that that's the tunnel right there. Yeah. So another question I have is why do we feel guilt when we feel fear? Oh, because humans aren't supposed to be scared. <laughs> like, this is the funniest thing. It there's these strange beliefs, especially about adults. Um, I worked with, I, I, it's not my favorite thing to work with teens because it's usually their parents I want to work with, but when I work with teens and I hear the things that they say about, you know, they feel mature, they feel like they're adults, and what are adults? They're stressed out and they're, you know, they're angry and they're, they don't have time for anything. I'm like, wow, I can't believe you want to rush into that. Um, but one of the things I think adults recognize is that, if we feel fear, it means that we don't feel competent to address something which we should by now. And should is like the most dangerous word we can use sometimes. Um, fear is Oh, that is that, so true. Yeah. Yeah. Fear comes up when we put up against the unknown. And the funny thing about that is that I feel like there are so many people who feel like they should be able to, to, to handle something that they've never handled before. Why? I think like right now, you know, a lot of people are feeling guilty because they feel fear or, and I know some of my friends who are also uh, people of faith, you know, they've been feeling fear, but then they've been feeling guilty because they're people of faith and, you know, we're not supposed to feel fear. You know, there's a scripture that says God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. Well, that's true, but we're also human. Right. Now we know how to come out of fear with our faith, but that doesn't mean we don't we shouldn't feel fear. So there's been a lot of guilt. And I think you're exactly right when you say it's that word should, you know, you yeah. shouldn't feel that because you're, you're, you're an adult or you shouldn't feel that because you know, that's such a good, good explanation. Well, and if you bring it back to faith, I think that people who are steeped in faith will say that they should not feel fear because they should have more faith in God. And so it, it's a cascade. It's not only I'm afraid of this, I'm afraid that God has abandoned me. I'm afraid that I'm not equipped. Wow. And so it turns wow. into a whole other spiral. You can see there's nothing simple about emotional behavior, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's complex. It is a, a very, very intricate web. And it's, it's never just what we think. Like I used to work with prisoners at San Quentin. And one of the things mm. that they would talk about is this inner hitman. So anger, let's just use anger, is actually a byproduct of feeling humiliated. So it's... Wow. I never heard that. 
so if we think about if we think about shame or guilt or fear, it's often related to something that's I want to say bigger or different. It's it's not usually the the surface emotion that we're looking at there if you're doing it from a behavior analytic perspective, right? From my perspective, I'd be like, what's behind that? Other people are just going to see the, the fear. And then if they share with you, they might also share with you that there's shame involved. But shame is also very private. So you only really see it in how somebody will pull themselves away from a community or be less, mm. less vocal in a setting. And then you can see that there might be some shame involved with that too. But I think a lot of people feel like they should, again, that word, be in control of themselves yeah. and they should know how to do things better. But they're forgetting this one simple thing is that humans, humans are granted by, you know, if, when you're faith-based, God has given you this full spectrum of emotions I like to think about emotions as part of your sensory system. It's another means of gaining information about your environment. So if you can use your emotions as information rather than as your driver, then you can do a lot to overcome a lot of the things that are now considered diagnosable mental disorders. Like, wow. oh, this is just information. It's telling me that what's happening in the world doesn't, doesn't fit with my belief. Okay, mm -hmm. so what do I need to do so that I can, you know, merge this so that it fits better with my belief. Very that different so way of thinking. Yeah, I love this stuff. It's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. Last question. Can you give us some tips on how to stop storying mm -hmm. and begin to work with our thoughts? I, you know, I, I again, was just researching and looking at all the information and the tools you give. And you talked about storying, which I've never heard that word. So, yeah, how to stop storying and begin to work with our thoughts. I think you may have touched on it, but. Well, I, I, if it's okay, I'll tell you a little personal story. Um, and that yeah, is definitely, that I, please. <laughs> I was in therapy for 30 years. That is three zero. I'm 42 years old. I was in therapy from the time I was a very little girl. And my issue was anger. And what I got was all these strangers, because, you know, every couple of months there's a new therapist, all these strangers mm -hmm. wanting me to tell, their, tell them my story because they didn't know it, right? And so I would tell them my story, and then they'd be like, oh, my time is up. And now I'm an emotional mess because I've just opened up this story, and now our time is up. <laughs> and so, and this happened time and time and time again, and that's just what therapy was. You know, you stuck with a therapist for a long time, so you didn't have to retell the story. What I discovered, again, working with kids with autism who cannot tell you their story, they can only show you their emotion, is mm, when you wow. the emotion, then the story matters less, especially now that I know that we're usually wrong. The story doesn't matter. The story is the thing that is causing you the pain. The event that you experienced doesn't cause you pain anymore. It's how you keep talking about it. So within my practice, I don't allow storying. I might ask you a clarifying question about something, but once the story starts triggering an emotional response, I'm traumatizing you, and I don't want to do that. Like, I know too much that, about how emotions affect the brain. That is so good <laughs> because I have often wondered 
Why do people ask you something when they know it is going to trigger a painful emotion that you then react to through the crying or just, why do people do that? Because it didn't, it never seemed helpful. I know that (laughs) tears can cleanse and heal, but it gets to a point where I don't know if this is now healthy to keep reciting it. And it's not up to us to tell someone that we all have to figure that out for ourselves and hopefully have the confidence and courage to tell someone no, telling well, that story or repeating that hurts. That's actually something that I encourage my clients to do. And I tell people all the time, my personal life is, you don't have a right to my personal life. Just because you've asked me a mm. question doesn't mean I need to answer it, right? And now in a therapeutic session, that's what you're expected. Like you're, you expect that you're in a safe place, that a therapist is going to ask you the question that's going to lead to this. And a lot of people think that storying brings catharsis, that, that in the moment relief. But the problem with that is that you tell the story, you have that catharsis, but it isn't actually gone. It's still there. You just have that moment of relief. And then in order to achieve that relief again, you have to tell the story again? No. It doesn't work that way. Now you have to tell a more intense story to have that relief. And that's, I mean, we talk about this in drug addiction. This is a tolerance effect. So, like, telling the story even if it gives you a moment of relief, doesn't give you a, a real relief from the issue that you're having. Working with your thought process gives you that relief. So your question is like, can I give you a tip? Yeah, listen to your body or feel your body. When you feel your shoulders start to go up, pay attention and say, no, this is, this is the thing that tells me I'm about to get into an emotional response. Relax your shoulders. Take a deep breath and say, what is my next best step? This is my favorite question. What is my next best step? How can I approach this better? I love that. What is my next best step? I love that question for myself. Oh, wow. Yeah, so for since April 2nd, I've been doing Facebook and Instagram videos. I think I did for about a month on Facebook and not Instagram, but that was one of the ones that I put on, and they're less than a minute, you know, they're just less than a minute. It's just me providing a question that will help you in the moment. And then if you use it throughout the day, you know, interrupt yourself. Interrupt that pattern where when you feel your eyebrows start to furrow, pull them apart and say, what is my next best step? <laughs> and you'll get an instant shift. But you have to have that awareness first. You have to, you have to become aware of your patterns and habits and say, oh, for me, because I had anger, right, my, my left mm-hmm. eyebrow would pop up and my head would tilt because I'm also from D.C., so I'm a little bit rough, right? So <laughs> my, my left eyebrow would go up my head would tilt, and then that was it. You were about to hear it from Liz. And now when my left eyebrow goes up, I can literally just bring it down because I didn't really like how those, those situations ended. Like, you know, I made my point, but somebody else got hurt in the end. Who needs that? I want to bring my eyebrow down, put my head back right, and say, I didn't really like what I just heard. Can we do that differently? Mm-hmm. You know? And that's a very different way of responding. For me, it was always disrespect. I always felt like I was being disrespected. Um, and it's just an easy way to interrupt those old patterns that you know don't work for you. Feel your body, become aware, and say, no, not today. What would be better? That. 
I mean, you just kind of blew me away with that. Not kind, excuse me, but, yeah, you just blew me away with that. That is something I've been thinking about doing more Mm -hmm. of. I've been doing something similar. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that is good. That that is good. I would like our listeners to know how they can get in touch with you. This has been a great, great interview. I I try not to interrupt, but it's been so good. I'm still sitting here processing some of the things you just said, especially about storying. But for anyone who would like to get in touch with you, how do they reach you? What are your social media handles? Because I made them when I was young. My social media, like on Facebook and Instagram, is literally Liz Khan is 29. Because I'm silly. Um, <laughs> Forever 29. That's right. Nothing wrong with it. Forever 29. That's right. Actually, I think I was like 26 when I did it, so that was ridiculous all by itself. So there's that. And then my website, it's just my name, LizCon.com, and that's K-A-H-N, like Nancy, LizCon.com. And I've got, you know, I've got a bunch of information there, but I think the bottom line for people to really understand is that I am a brain geek, and I wanted to address, like, the tears. Tears are good because they actually release neurotransmitters that you dropped from your brain. So crying mm-hmm. is good. It gets them out before your neurotransmitters become toxic. And that actually also contributes to weight. So, like, there's so mm. many things. I'm, That's good. It is all about the interconnectedness of the body system. So I work with people in their thoughts and their emotions, but it's really a whole holistic approach to mental health that allows you to achieve everything that you're looking for in your life, in love, health, wealth, and self-image. Like, it's so much fun. So, yeah, you can find me at LizCon.com or LizCon is 29 because that's me being silly. (laughs) This has been great. When I tell you this has been so helpful for me and I know it's going to be helpful for our listeners, Um, thank you so much, Liz. It's always good to – talk to people who they're experts, they're in the medical field, health and wellness, to help us be healthy on our own instead of waiting around for someone to do it for us. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. This was so much fun for me, too. You're welcome. Have a good one. You too, Tracy. Take care.